0: Chapter Eleven of Babu Jabberjee B.A. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Madcap Babu Jabberjee B.A. by F. Anstey. Chapter Eleven. Mr. Jabberjee finds himself in a position of extreme delicacy. It is an indubitable fact that the discovery of steam is the most marvellous invention of the century. For had it been predicted beforehand that innumerable millions of human beings would be transported with security at a headlong speed for hundreds of miles along a ferruginous track the most temporary deviation from which would produce the inevitable cataclysm and no end of a smash. THE WORKING MAJORITY WOULD HAVE EXPRESSED THEIR CANDID OPINION OF SUCH RODOMONTE BY COCKING THE CONTEMPTUOUS SNOOK OF INCREDULITY. AND YET, IT IS NOW THE HIGHLY ACCOMPLISHED FACT AND MATTER OF COURSE. STILL, I SHALL VENTURE TO EXPRESS THE OPINION THAT THE PLEASURABILITY OF SUCH RAILWAY JOURNEYS IS LARGELY DEPENDENT ON THE PERSON WHO MAY BE OUR TRAVELING COMPANION and that some of the companies are not quite careful enough in the exclusion of undesirable fellow-passengers, in proof of which I now beg to submit an exemplary instance from personal experience. I was recently the payer of a ceremonial visit to a friend of my boyhood, namely Babu Chakraborty Ram, with whom, finding him home in his lodgings, in a distant suburb, I did hold politely affectionate intercourse for the space of two hours, and then departed as I had come, by train, and the sole occupant of a second-class dual compartment divided by a low partition. At the next station the adjoining compartment was suddenly invaded by a portly female of the matronly type, with a rubicund countenance, and a bonnet, in a dismantled and lopsided condition, who was bundled through the doorway by the impetuosity of a porter, and occupied a seat in immediate opposition to myself. When the train resumed its motion, I observed that she was contemplating me, with a beaming simper of indescribable suavity— and though she was of an unornamental exterior, and many years my superior, I constrained myself from motives of merest politeness to do some simperings in return, since only a churlish would grudge such an economical and inexpensive civility. But whether she was of an unusually ardent temperament, or whether, against my volition, i had invested my simper with an irresistible winsomeness i cannot tell but she fell to making nods and becks and wreathed smiles which reduced me to crimson sheepishness and the necessity of looking earnestly out of window at vacancy at this she entreated me passionately not to be unkind inviting me to cross to the next compartment and seat myself by her side but I did nil this invitation politely, urging that company's by-laws countermanded the placing of boots upon the seat-cushions, and my utter inability to pose as a Romeo to scale the barrier. Whereupon, to my lively horror and amazement, she did exclaim, Then I will come to you, darling, and commenced to scramble precipitately towards me over the partition, at which I was in the blue funk perceiving the arcanum of her design, to embrace me, and resolved to leave no stone unturned for the preservation of my bacon. So at the moment she made the entrance into my compartment, I did simultaneously hop the twig into the next, and she followed in pursuit, and I once more achieved the return with inconceivable agility. Then, as we were both like Hamlet, fat and short of breath, I addressed her gaspingly across the barrier, assuring her that if it was as if to milk the ram to set her bonnet at a poor young native chap who regarded her with nothing but platonical esteem and advising her to sit down for the recovery of her wind. But alack, this speech only operated to inspire her With Spreto injuria formae and flourishing a large stalwart umbrella, she exclaimed that she would teach me how to insult a lady. After that she came floundering once again over the partition, and guarding my loins, I leapt into the next compartment, seeing the affair had become a sauve qui peut, and devil take the hindmost. And at the nick of time, when she was about to descend like a wolf on a fold, I most fortunately perceived a bell-handle provided for such pressing emergencies, and rung it with such unparalleled energy that the train immediately became stationary. Then, as my female persecutress alighted on the floor of the compartment, in the limp condition of a collapse, I stepped across to my original seat and endeavoured to look as, if, with withers unrung. Presently the guard appeared, and what followed I can best render in the dramatical form of a dialogue. The guard, addressing the elderly female, who is sitting smiling with vacuity beneath the bell-pull. So it is you who have sounded the alarm. What is it all about? The elderly female, with warm indignation me i never did i'm too much of the lady it was that young coloured gentleman in the next compartment at which the tip of my nose goes down with apprehensiveness the guard indeed a likely story how could the gentleman ring this bell from where he is myself with mental presence well said mr guard the thing is not humanly possible REM AKU tetigisti. THE GUARD. I do not understand Indian, sir. If you have anything to say about this affair, you had better say it. Myself, combining discretion with magnanimousness. As a chivalrous, I must decline to bring any accusation against a member of the weaker sex, and my tongue is hermetically sealed. THE ELDERLY FEMALE. It was him who rang the alarm, and not me. He was in this compartment, and I in that. The guard. What? Have you been playing at hide-and-seek together, then? But if your story is watertight, he must have rung the bell in a state of abject bodily terror, owing to your chivying him about. The elderly female. It is false. I have been well educated and belong to an excellent family. I merely wanted to kiss him. The guard, I see what is your complaint. You've been imbibing the drop too much, and will hear of this from the company. I must trouble you, ma'am, for your correct name and address. Myself, after he had obtained this and was departing. Mr. guard, I do most earnestly entreat you not to abandon me to the tender mercies of this feminine. I am not a proficient in physical courage, and have no desire to test the correctness of poet pope's assertion that hell does not possess the fury of a scorned woman i request to be conducted into a better populated compartment the guard with complimentary jocosity ah such young good-looking chaps as you ought to go about in a veil. come with me and i'll put you into a smoker carriage you won't be run after there so the incident was closed and I did greatly compliment myself upon the sagacity and coolness of head with which I extricated myself from my pretty kettle of fish, for to have denounced myself as the real alarmist would have rendered the affair more, rather than less, discreditable to my feminine companion, and I should have been arraigned before the solemn bar of a police-court magistrate, who might even have made a star-chamber matter of the incident, All is well that is well over, but when you have been once bitten, you become doubly bashful. Consequently, this humble self will take care that he does not on any subsequent occasion travel alone in a railway compartment with a female woman. End of chapter eleven. Recording by Madcap, London.